This week's episode is brought to you by Pain. You'll see what I mean. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. And a breakaway! McKinnon, pure guts! <laughs> they got nothing but guts! Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass, and look at the patient, my goodness. Guts all over the place, I can't believe it. And after 22 years, Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for December 17th, 2018. Coming up on the show, goaltending matters, officiating misery in Missouri, and surviving some really wild stuff. But before we play the whoosh, let's hear from your disembodied voices for the week. Joining us, as always, is Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Jackie, hello to you. Hello, happy holidays, everyone. And sneaking in at the end as well is Rudo. Yeah, I can actually make it this week, so hi. A little bit of housekeeping right off the top. I'll be traveling next week, so no Burgundy Radio at the Christmas weekend. But make sure to keep your ear to the ground for a new episode of Tua. What should we expect from you guys talking out your abs? Yeah, we're going to cover all of the AHL happenings. Um, It's been a pretty good month or so for the Eagles, I would say. A little up and down for sure, but we'll get more into that on the the podcast. And we'll talk about the upcoming WJC at least a little bit. Don't know how many details there will be there, but it's definitely a lot of interesting things going on no matter what for the Avs at that tournament. So it should be exciting. Sounds good. Do you know about when we would expect such a show to drop? Any kind of prediction on that? Uh, Our goal is to get it before Christmas, but I'm not going to make any promises. Okay. So, hopefully you'll get a nice little gift. Um, Sort of like the Avs almost got, and then they squandered. Womp womp. On Tuesday, Avs fall 6-4 at home to the Edmonton Oilers. The score of this game doesn't really tell you much about it. The Avs outshot Edmonton 43-26, but goaltending kind of matters, it turns out. And Gabe Landeskog picked up a pair of trash time goals to make the score a little bit more respectable. Miko Rantanen and Colin Wilson, your other goal scorers. So this was the new-look Edmonton Oilers with Ken Hitchcock, and with this new goalie who's about a million feet tall and is also named Miko. What, what's going on with giant fins named Miko? Yeah, I, I was at this got... game with my dad, and he just kept saying, I can't believe how huge that goalie is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I... It's like, look at him compared to Varley, and Varley's not even small. So that definitely left an impression. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think we got goalied a little bit in this one. Um, you know, the, the Avs had their own problems, such that defense was kind of out the window, too. But... Um, it was incredibly difficult to score for the first 40 minutes. And it didn't help Varley's case any at all that multiple defenders in front of them had absolute disaster games. Um, leading the charge of disaster games, I think we can point directly at Tyson Berry. And uh, yeah. go from there. I think at the start of the week, it was probably more Ian Cole. Yeah. Uh, he was really, really, and this is coming off the Tampa game too. He was just, he could not do anything right. And he's Barry's partner. So they just kind of combined into just a total waste dump of awfulness. This, this was the one where Barry pretty much passed it to Lucic. Yes. Right. In front so of 
Yes, that happened right in front of me. So that one's kind of like burned into my memory bank. Yeah, Cole was on the ice for four goals that game. And, you know, that, that wasn't just a coincidence. And I, I think at that point he had been on the ice for 15 of the last 21 goals they had given up. And, you know, that rolls back into last week's disaster as well. So... And some of that includes the PK, but then that's also its own right. problem. Yeah, that's that's all situations. It's not just 5v5, but um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I tend to think he's been a little bit overplayed. Um, you know, the, you, you don't pick up a number one defenseman in free agency for four and a quarter million dollars. So, um you know, you, you really have to be careful with how you use Cole. I, I think he was very effective when they were sort of playing him like a, a number three defenseman or, or a number four defenseman, which is what he really is. But, um, you know, that's it's just something that it looks like he, he was overplayed and, and tired like the rest of the team at that point. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit more depth on Ian Cole being played so much and why a little bit later on in the show. Um, but there's a few more happenings of the week that we still need to get through. Because um, it was, was it before or after that, the game in Edmonton that we found out that Vladislav Kamenev is done for the season with some kind of shoulder thing or something? Before. Before. Yeah, this yeah was, we kind of uh, knew. Not a, good, not a good day. Yeah, we don't know if he, he's actually had his surgery yet or, or what, but. You know, I think that the day of that game was when we found out that that he was going to have surgery and that it was going to be quite a long time before we saw him in an abs uniform again. Yeah, if ever. Uh, yeah, I feel for the kid. You know, to get injured again like that, he's really gonna have a hard time finding a roster spot in the future now. He can never really get his legs under him long enough to, you know, get and stay in in game shape and solidify a spot on the roster. He's he's kind of stuck now in that limbo where he's always having to earn the spot, and we know how hard that is on uh on Jared Bednar's team as the dog runs through and jumps on the bed, and you probably all heard every bit of that. Um, but it's just a rough spot for for Cam to be in. It's it's gonna be hard to give him or kind of pencil him in for a roster spot next year and then they're bringing in Cout as their kind of like young guy trying to ease him into things and so I think it's possible they might not even qualify Kamenev it's obviously too early to determine that especially who else they sign or bring back but like you said it's this was his year to to kind of solidify himself and he's just going to be in limbo again i guess it's possible they could bring him back and put him in the ahl not that he'd get development there but just games it's just it's tough because you look at it like the abs gave him two years to do it and unfortunately he just got horribly injured both years and i i'm sure kamenev is good enough to be an nhl or somewhere but given the abs pipeline like you already mentioned Cout, we also have guys like bowers coming in you know, people are already going to start looking towards the future players, and when you have nothing to really show for your two years, you just get left behind. Plus two firsts yeah, coming up this summer, and one of them could be a very high first. I'm 
I'm a little bit more optimistic about it. Jared Bednar said when he was talking about how he was going to be out that he was sure that he was going to be a very good player. I don't know if he was just pumping his tires or not, but you know, it's it's not like he blew off the subject. But um, he, the one thing that that sort of gives me a little hope is what we've seen now with with several injuries to centers. Um, you know that you you do need a good stock of centers. Like having more than four that are capable of playing in the NHL and, and well in the NHL is a really nice thing to have. So I don't think they're going to give up on him, but you know it, it's it's going okay. to be tougher and tougher as time goes by for him to solidify a role on the Avs if he can't stay healthy. They might stick him in the AHL. As, as like a call-up, and we'll probably get to that issue a little bit later. But the other thing will be he won't be waiver-exempt next year. So, I mean, would he get taken? Maybe not, but it just complicates things. The Avs don't like the flexibility. It's it's harder to call guys up and back when they're not waiver-exempt. I, I really think he would get taken. I think there's a team out there that could use him immediately in the NHL if he's healthy. For sure. Which... Unfortunately, he's not. And it, it, it's not even like you can look at one of those things and be like, oh, is this a guy who's injury prone because maybe his conditioning's not up to stuff? Like, he's just taking humongous hits. Some some guys just can't hold up to it, though. Like, I did, yeah, they, they seem like they're bad luck, but it's just some guys just get beat up in the NHL. It, and it's. It, they're I just not the, going to. I think the Orpic hit was luck. I don't think this time it really was because he kind of put himself in the situation with his positioning that he was going to get really hurt that way. But um, that's neither here nor there now. Yeah. So let's go ahead and move on to Friday when the Avs travel to St. Louis and come out with a point but lose 4-3 to three in overtime, like you do. Colorado outshot the Blues 42-28, to but stop me if you've heard this one before, goaltending matters. The Avs' goal scorers were Sven Andergetto, Matt Calvert, and JT Comfer. This was easily the best 3-on-3 the Avs have played this year. Uh, Colton Pareko lost his stick, and the line of Nate Miko and Tyson Berry just went to work, isolating that player until eventually Tarasenko went and picked up the spare stick, and all hell broke loose. So... The best ex- explanation I've seen, and I think this comes from RD on the Discord, is the ref outside the zone was the one that called the penalty. And I, he called it because he thought the stick was broken, and Tarasenko was about to play with a broken stick, which you kind of can't do that. When they discovered it wasn't, they said, well, technically, Pareko has an extra long stick because he's 6'6", and Tarasenko isn't, so technically, he still can't use that stick. That was which what is called. true, and he... Yeah, and the NHL said that they, you know, yes, that is a rule, but they don't want, you know, they don't want them enforcing that rule like that. that that's something yeah, they don't want to blow the whistle and call a right. penalty. It's just if if he scored with that stick, it would have been challengeable or something like that. Right. I even then, like we've seen the clip of Bobby Ryan stealing Koivu's stick and scoring with it. Like the precedent they've set is that. It's a stick. If it's if it functions, you can use it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Kuznetsov stole a stick from an, from an opposing opposing player that was stuck in the boards earlier this year and got whistled for that. So. <laughs> hmm. Well, yeah, we, we've seen a lot of strange things this year, but I felt that way too in the real time that they thought it was broken because 
the way that you would blow it dead and then you would put Tarasenko in the penalty box was just like what you would do if he was playing with a broken stick. Right. They probably thought because Pareko left it there so long that it was broken because, and yeah, it was three on three, so it's not like you can really leave the play, but it had been probably a good minute. And he still didn't go back and get his stick. And, like, the whistle would have been okay then, but, I mean, come on, man up and say, okay, it's not a broken stick. <laughs> we got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Right, it's just funny I mean, that they would know this offhand unless it's part of their briefing that night. <laughs> it's just like, what special circumstances are in this game? It just seems silly to just know that offhand that Pareko has... A longer than average stick. Now I remember, boys, if Pareko tries to give anybody a stick, he can't do it because he's too tall, and that's against the rules. But if you want to sit on JT Comfort does that center ice for about 15 seconds, we're going to allow it. I don't think it worked that way. Yeah. I, I definitely think the oops, let's justify this call is the right explanation. Anyway, that was total horseshit. And since the Avs were the beneficiary of the horseshit, obviously they give up a game winning, game winning shorty to fucking Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, yep, and it's a play that we've seen Tyson Berry make dozens of times every year he's been in the league where he shoots it, he's the last man back and he shoots it right at a defender and boom, we get a breakaway the other way and yeah, that's all she wrote. I mean, <laughs> you gotta have two brain cells there, right? It's four on three. <laughs> you just cannot yeah. take that shot as the high man in a situation where you have that much ice to work with. It's just, there's no reason for it. And there were two guys in front of him. Yeah. And in, and Rudo, I, I know I said this to you yesterday, that it looked like from your video that he looked at that situation and just as he was about to bring the stick down, was like, oh shit, I don't think this, you know, I, I think this is going to get blocked. And he, he kind of held up a little bit. I, I um, almost think, like, I agree with the thought that you think he had, but I don't think he held up a little bit. I think he kind of like... Tried to do a bend the bullet kind of move, yeah, and that yeah. just totally put him worse out of position. <laughs> right? Yeah, he, I mean, he tried to do something different mid-stroke, and it did not did not have the desired effect. Obviously, I I can't believe he got beat by O'Reilly in a foot race. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, and I know O'Reilly had a had you know Barry had to turn around, and O'Reilly had a little bit of a running start, but it was like. He didn't get closer. <laughs> and, well, I mean, how long had Tyson Berry been on the ice? Because that, that shift before the power play lasted a good minute and a half, and then we play the exact same line in the power play? Yeah. yeah. I, he'd been that... out there for a while, but still, come on, it's Ryan O'Reilly. I, mean, like, <laughs> I can catch him, probably. Yeah, I just, I just would have liked a little bit more effort there. I Not that he wasn't trying to not stop O'Reilly, but it's just like... It's, it's just, just the karma of that penalty call, like, <laughs> yeah. holding him back. Yeah. <laughs> Planting that seed in his mind that instead like, instead of thinking, oh, oh no, I gotta get back, he's just thinking, no! <laughs> but that is a good point. I mean, do you have to start with the guys that have just been on the ice forever? You do not. It does seem like it, it's becoming a bit of a rut for Bednar is not trying something different. Like he's, he says Comfer as the hot stick. He's been playing well. Like see what the guy can do in overtime. 
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't mind splitting up Mac and Miko with some other guys that, you know, <clears throat> are a little more critical thinkers. Um, <laughs> the the defense is the big problem, though, and it, it's, you know, it's like we've seen Barry get torched. We've seen Sam get torched. EJ's no good. You know, I mean, I'd like to try Z there, but I mean, it's like, is that really going to be an improvement? I'm not sure it would be. Um, I think he'd be. be better one-on-one because he can cover more ground. Yeah. Like he can, it's... He, his reach is longer, so he could be able to. I feel like I remember one time that Zadora was out there in overtime, and he did that because his wingspan is just so large that it's helpful when the ice is that big. And his weakness is coverage around the net, so he's not going to find that kind of situation in three-on-three. Yeah, but he does struggle man on man, and that's what that's what overtime is all about. I mean, I so. I would like to try those things, but yeah, when you get the power play, you got to do it right. You got to play Barry or Sam, and Sam has not proven he can do anything in overtime, so they went with Barry. And you just gotta like, it's a really easy fix. You just sit him down in a room and tell him he can't do that ever again <laughs> on the power play, and you're fine. I think I would have tried. But I'm sure Sam they've told him that a hundred thousand times. <clears throat> I would have tried Sam on that. Power you can't. Play. You can't He's... justify putting Sam in the overtime power yeah. play no. given yes, his can. overtime play. You cannot because it's a power play. It, it compl- it's completely. It doesn't different. matter. The Sam's problem in overtime is on the guy coming down one on one. Like the power play aspect won't matter in that case. But that's against that very different. same team. A week before, <laughs> <laughs> you usually don't even give up breakaways on a power play in overtime. Like that, yeah, that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah, the abs definitely do. Um, <laughs> well, he wouldn't have shot into the legs, first of all. Probably not. He, he wouldn't have taken the shot. But the, I mean, the thing is, if you're Jared Bednar, you're sitting there, it's like, if you put like Justin Comfer and Sam out, let's say, and in, I don't know, someone else, Sven. You know, it's like if you if you don't put the top guys out and you lose or don't score or whatever, you're just going to be second guessed for weeks about it. Yeah. Well, I think at this point, with so many failures, that I think everyone would understand trying something different. But in general, I agree that when when it's a critical situation, you need a goal. They're they're always going to put out the best players, and I understand that that those players give you the best chance to win. So. I mean, I just don't think that's a hard decision to defend, especially in like a if someone has to ask you about you and say they just come off the come off the ice, they'd spent the whole overtime on the ice, and our second power play unit is pretty good too. Like, yeah. that's, that's not a hard move to defend, and it comes off as positive for your players. And I mean, there was a long discussion there. To be fair, yeah, After I mean, the I... penalty call, so they were probably pretty rested. Like, as rested as you can be at that point. Maybe. It, the um, thing is, with an overtime power play like that, it's you're probably not going to get a chance to change. You're either going to score, or you're going to pass it around for 1 minute and 57 seconds and then shoot and then not make it, or, you know, whatever. But it's just the, the being able to swap, you know, a, a second power play unit out for the the top line would be difficult. The Avs really struggle at the overtime change, the thing where you change one guy at a time. Right. Yeah. 
that's kind of how you have to do it, and they just don't seem to be able to do that. I think they probably would have had a whistle. They would have either deflected a shot out, or the goalie would have like saved when Patrick it. used to whistle for line changes. <laughs> no, they would have. No, not that kind of whistle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna go in, the Avs clearly lean on their offense. So let's just put four forwards out there next time. Do it. <laughs> I would like to point out that Malash is pretty good in overtime. Now he is. <laughs> Let, let's, I mean, let's go the, with the, the top line and Carl. Just just do it. Why not? Yeah, right? You have Landy and Carl who can both be defensive-ish. Yeah. Hey, they'll have Makar soon, oh, so Mac and maybe Miko it's only a, a temporary issue. Mac and Miko had a perfectly good back check against Dallas where they broke up a, a, what would have been a two-on-one. So. Oh, Miko's play on that break... Or... It wasn't a break, but back-checking on that play last night, that yeah. was so fabulous. And he only made yeah. it because McKinnon was there, too. Like, they they can get back. And both of yeah. them are more explosive, more explosive first up than Tyson Berry does. But... And definitely more explosive than Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> but So that was a disaster. And we had no time to sit and stew over it because the next night Colorado returned home to find the Dallas Stars waiting for them and got out to a big lead early, 3-0, chasing Anton Kudobin before they eventually gave the whole thing up. We'll get to the disallowed pair a little later. Then at 4-4 in the third, Gabe Landeskog with another incredible tip goal and McKinnon with the empty netter, 6-4 your final. The other goals from Landeskog again, Calvert and Rantanen twice. Before the Dallas game, Bednar kind of tore into some of his top guys in the press conference, and this was a fantastic response. This first period was exactly what you hoped for. Yeah, I mean, it was. I, I mean, I I don't think you could have played a better first fifteen minutes, really. Um, <clears throat> you know, the 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 disallowed goals aside, I, I mean, I think that's actually a positive because. I mean, they had 18 scoring chances, and they put the puck in the net five times on those. And, Hit a post, you know, too. They, yeah. And so, you know, that was extremely effective. And just Dallas had no answer. And I realized, you know, they're down Klingberg, and, Klingberg and, and they're, you know, they're not at the top of their game right now. But, you know, to, to dominate any team like that, um, especially coming off of a disappointing outing the night before, um, you know, it's exactly what Jared Bednar was calling for when he called them out during the the, the post game presser in St. Louis. It's it's a little weird to say because yes, the first period was fantastic from them, but I actually like the third uh, end of the third period better from them. Obviously, the team struggled and it looked like they were in trouble, but the top line just kind of went, okay, I guess nobody else is going to get it done tonight, so we have to, and Landy manned up and got a great tip, and on that <laughs> shift, the top line got it in deep, Rantanen worked hard down low, and even though they did end up giving up the puck, Johnson made a nice play to keep it in, so basically, we're starting to see the next step of that line beyond just being really good to carrying the team. They definitely can do that in stretches. I don't. I still don't know if they can do it all the time. And what's funny is anyone could do it all the time, but yeah, <laughs> is that they could have certainly given more in the St. Louis game. But what did they have? Twenty shots on goal. Was it just? Was it between the three of them? They had twenty shots on goal. Yeah. So <clears> it's 
And if you watched the game, you definitely felt like they were a bit off. But, yeah, I agree. In the Dallas game, they they certainly brought it together to elevate the team. I also feel like in the Dallas game was the first time in a while that McKinnon was really going. I, th- I think he's been... He's been frustrating to watch, and I think he's been frustrated. But I think in the Dallas game, he finally kind of got out of the funk a little bit, and I think he played really well for the first time in a bit. He seems to frustrate pretty easily, McKinnon does. And uh, it just doesn't work in his favor. But when he's able to channel that and use it and to say, all right, F all y'all, we're just going to win this game, then I'll take it. Definitely. But this game was not super smooth and easy, like we like we mentioned. The, uh, there were a pair of disallowed goals in the first, which made the first period last well over an hour. Thank you for that. Um, the, the first one was a broken stick kind of knuckle puck from Colin Wilson, which floated its way automatically through, um, through Kudobin. And A.J. Greer kind of was between two Stars defenders, and the three of them all crashed in, like, as the puck floated through, and... I mean, I can... I guess that that's definitely... I mean, that, obviously the goaltender was interfered with, but I'm I did, I'm not convinced that it was A.J. Greer who did the interfering. Yeah, I mean, I think Gavin Bayreuth are basically railroaded Greer right in there. I mean, it, it's not like Greer did a ton to, to not be railroaded in there, and that's not his job, because if, if someone's pushing you into the crease, like, that's basically, you know, that's basically free interference, or, or it should be. Um, so I, I, I don't understand that call at all. The, yeah, the part that really bugged me about that one is... Kudobin was like 95% out of the crease. Like his toe yeah. was the only part of him still in the crease. And it's like, what do you want him to do at that point? Yeah, and Greer was touching the defenseman. He wasn't touching the goalie. So that one was very disappointing. And at the time, that was his first goal. Now, I, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it never touched him. I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't take the 10 <laughs> minutes to did. watch them discuss that. No, it did not goal. Touch that so, I mean, that's the bigger problem that I have. Like, I can accept the no-goal call. You're hoping for consistency, but speed it up, man. If that goal takes that long to figure out how it went in legally or not, then just, you know, put a time limit on it. Yeah, I think, I think it's been suggested by multiple people. If you can't reverse it pretty quick, then the call on the ice stands. If you need 18 angles to come up with a discrepancy... That's too long. You can easily say that the video evidence is inconclusive, therefore the call on the ice stands. Yeah. Like, that's not difficult. You don't have to decide that it was clearly this or that, because hockey isn't a clear game. But that wasn't enough for your officiating crew. Oh, no. <laughs> they had to get showed up again. Like, five minutes later, on the power play, Carl Soderberg kind of gives Kudobin the yogger ass and wraps it around him, and Carl, you, you can't do that, bud. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can, his, I can his feet were in the crease. I mean, you but other, other <laughs> players do that. I mean... And if they butt-face your goalie and score on him, you yell about it, don't you? It happens a lot, though. There's a lot of teams that score goals that way. 
Uh, so the thing is, Carl did it. The thing is, Carl did it before the puck was there. Yeah. Like, if there's a loose rebound and then he does it, I think that goal should count. But he definitely made contact before Ghetto had even shot it. So it's it's pretty hard to disagree with that one. I like yeah, what Bednar one... said is that he really asked the players to get in the, the crease and try to create something. And that it happened twice and the, and the goals were called back. And he's just like, you know, that's what I asked them to do. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for. Like we, like we found and out back in the old goal. days goaltender interferences anymore. It's like, we we don't know either. Well, here's the thing. The, the, most of us do agree that the Carl was pretty clearly interference. So, how does that goal stand on the ice? Like, I, in real yeah. time, I'm like, I don't know about that one. Because I, I seriously think other teams, like Winnipeg, come on. They... A lot of teams score goals where they're basically the teams that on the do that a lot. They understand though; they stand one millimeter outside the crease, <laughs> yeah. and they they say, "No, we weren't in the crease," and it's a good goal, and that's fair. They understand yep. how to do it, and the Avs haven't learned how to do that yet. Yeah, I could see that too. They don't really have that kind of player who does that. Like, I mean, Landis Gog and Wilson are about as close as they get, and Landis Gog is much more the finesse tip goal than the. You can't see around me as I wrap it around you, goal. Like, yeah, they definitely not... need more of that. They really do. That's that's definitely been a struggle that they've had for a long time. I I'm not a huge fan of doing that. Like I I I'm with JB when he says you got to take the goalie's eyes away. But as far as being like right in the guy's grill, I don't think that helps. And I think it takes you out of the play because I don't think yeah. you can do much with the puck if you're right. On the blue paint. Right. I, I much prefer the style of the game winning goal from Landis Gog, where as the shooter winds up, you're slicing across and cutting through. Right. It's the motion. I mean, it's like if you're standing there, the goalie can fight through the screen pretty easily. It's like if you have guys um, that are cycling and, and passing through the goalie's vision, that's, that's almost tougher. They're still not great at getting to rebounds. They don't tend to get a lot of those goals. And I think that's kind of the next step in their evolution. And I understand yeah. not every team's the same, but I think they leave so many goals on the table, especially when they're struggling because it's they have funny such a tough time getting to rebounds. That you mentioned that because I think one of the best players right now on the abs at doing that is JT Comfort. Yeah, certainly. And he's been a, since returning from his last injury, he's been a really nice addition to the entire lineup. Like they have plug and played him pretty much everywhere, and he's done good work. And I think that's more his identity rather than sometimes he he gets into the sniper mode, and that's not really him. Like he has a good shot, but I think when he has time to try to place it, it doesn't usually work out for him. But I agree. I he's added something that. They don't have a lot of, and when he's really on top of his game, it certainly makes a difference. And that's why it was so terrifying when he got very obviously and blatantly boarded and stayed on the ice in a heap for a minute and looked like he wasn't doing so great. And he was bleeding. That's, that was the real scary part. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like not only did he get checked from behind directly in the numbers into the wall, but um, Honka added an elbow to the head just to grind it in there for good measure. 
Um, and it happened right where the glass transitions into the top of the wall. So, um, yeah, I'm not I... actually all that worried about Com for having a concussion. Um, he made it through protocol, and I know that's not always the. You know, I, I know symptoms develop um, the next day or, or or whatever like that. But and he's um, had that happen before. Exactly. It's, but it's I just I, sure I, I'm not as he... worried about this one. It's it's for sure better that he came back, definitely. Yeah. But having just come off a concussion, and it just it really didn't look great. I think there is some a little bit cause for worry. Probably by this time tomorrow, has any team like fine. had to deal with as many concussions as the Avs have this year, or possible concussions? Not sure. I maybe know. I don't watch enough other teams to know, but I do know that was yeah. the only teams... dirty hit of the game either. Yeah, right. Earlier, the refs the... was it was it Faxa who hit Sam? No, it was Hansel. Hansel. Yeah. Hansel. That's right. Who just Sam doesn't have the puck. The puck was never near Sam, and Hansel just puts a shoulder into his face. And like, that dude, I think yeah. that was dirtier than Confer's. I mean, at least that one was a hockey play. Like, yeah, what Honka did was illegal, but it was part of the play. This was just a cheap shot, and it and wasn't Hansel's called. like twice Sam's size, right. too. Like, what the rifts were and weren't calling in this game just boggled my mind. Like, and, like and you want to get that out of the game. That's the, the crap that you want to get out of the game. It's completely unnecessary. It has nothing to do with the hockey play. It has nothing to do with trying to win the puck. And it's a cheap I, shot. I, I honestly don't head. think they saw that. They may not because. Well, Okay, it was behind the play. It, it's it's understandable it. if they didn't see that, but they sure saw Comfort. You know, I mean, I don't know how you can look at that play at full speed, even, and just say like, "No, nah, that's a good hit, no problem." <laughs> you, do we know yet if the Dopes is going to look at either of those? I don't think I'm so. Sure I, I think if Sam's not injured, which he never left the ice, I but mean, again, you never know. That's it's but, just ridiculous that. Yeah. They can find Rantanen for diving and not even look at a play <laughs> like that. It's just absurd. Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I think unless the, you know, unless the Avs complain about it, which they, you know, they generally they should don't. about this. It's a cheap shot on one of their best. I mean, what does it players. do for them though? It, it, it takes it out of the game. I mean, the, the more that. I mean, how does it help the Avs though? You know, so that other it than happen down the line and actually get someone injured, I don't know. I mean, like you got to start I just, somewhere. You you have to say I, it's not acceptable. You have to protect your players. The Avs should complain. I mean, they should absolutely stick up for Sam there because it was bullshit cheap shot and it definitely could have injured him. Who knows? Maybe it will have some sort of effect on him. I mean, more about Honka's hit on Confer. That's just, that that would be the one play yeah. I could see DOPS taking a look at because it was dirty. I don't ball, think you, know? you can even complain on that one. Like, yeah. yes, it was yeah. horribly dirty, but like a complaint isn't going to change anything with right. that one. The refs looked right at it, so it is what it is. Yeah, you, you know they you missed have... it. I mean, it's not. It, it, they're they're one, not going to give them a suspension for yeah, that. I mean, that you would have to be in their ear about play. it. Like you have to I'm be not, not going to say that like Zadorov hasn't hit somebody in the numbers and he didn't get called for it, or the EJ hit. I mean, that, I I still think that one was pretty bad and it did injure Steen. 
But you end up rescinding the major for that one somehow. Like, I guess yeah. because I don't understand that. They either. love that play. I, I guess because it's <laughs> technically not elbowing, and the major was for elbowing. <laughs> but it wasn't. Well, yeah, it wasn't elbowing. It was, it was definitely not elbowing. So I'll, yeah, you are technically correct, NHL. <laughs> the best kind of correct. <laughs> But you you have to be in the league's ear advocating for your guys. That that is literally Joe's job. Just to be like, look, I mean, it, if this is allowed, you're going to end up running players out of the game every night. Because if that's legal, then players are always going to cross the line of legal. And you're going to end up with, with a stretcher every other game. Because apparently boarding from the numbers is fine. I, I mean... If the refs miss it, they miss. I just, yeah, it's, you have to. I, I, I know it. I, I, it should be preventative, though. Like you should be in the ears saying your refs cannot let the game get to this point exactly. because the D- Dallas was very physical from basically the start of the second period on and ramped it up as the game went on, and the refs kind of just let it go, except for calling these weird like stick penalties, and you they just let it happen. You can't have that. And the, the book yeah, is out that's... on the abs. It's going to happen more and more. Like They've struggled against physicality, but now that they're a good team, every team is going to be more prepared against them, and that's the thing that they're going to try to do. Like We expect it from like St. Louis and Winnipeg and these teams that play that way, but Dallas isn't a hard, heavy team. No, but they've and always the been scummy. They started yeah, playing they've... that way to they're Nashville to abs is... Is a little strange, and, and I, yet the abs are the ones that put the guys on the IR all the time because <laughs> <laughs> they use the puck. That's right. <laughs> they hit you with they the just puck. They destroy the puck your hands, buddy. <laughs> that's that's like the, you don't want to block shots no, here. But that that's the trend that we're seeing, and it's not just the Avalanche; it's just across the league, where, where if you hit somebody badly, they're more they're more and more fine with that. But if you get that stick anywhere near the hands, boy, whoop, nope. We're going to continue <laughs> yeah. calling that exactly the same. <laughs> but, that That is something I don't understand at all. But boarding, interference, charging, that one we're going to let go more and more. But not the ticky-tack stuff. For the stuff. face-offs. We got to make sure we do the face-offs right. We have Every to pump fake time. the face-off to see who's ready to <laughs> br- jump on it. <laughs> well... It's going to take, like, McDavid getting bashed in the head, no call, and then they'll change it again. <laughs> that's, that's how true. That's how the stick penalties came about, with Gaudreau taking, like, <laughs> 85 in one game, and then now they have to call them all. Well, hopefully it's uh, not, not one of the guys wearing an A. I yeah. hope so. I or hope or so the too. C triangle, they wear those jerseys a lot, too. They're they probably more right. likely to get beat up in those. <laughs> so obviously, um, one thing the Avalanche cannot control is is how the rule book is going to be called from one night to the next. Although it was, it was pretty amusing to to see the Dick goal this week. They got called back because you can't do that. It turns out, but really nice <laughs> shot from Tim Peel. <laughs> <laughs> But they can control to some degree their goaltending, and it's been messy for a couple of weeks now. 
yeah, it's you know, uh, two weeks ago I was thinking they should put Grubauer on Varley's rebound regiment because Varley is very good with rebounds normally, and it almost seems like they did the opposite. And Grubauer's rebound control is now mirroring Varley, or the other way around. Varley's rebound control has gotten much, much worse, and <laughs> that's not good because our defense doesn't clear rebounds on that end of the ice either. So it almost seems like Varley's struggles started after he didn't play for like a week. When was that? I'm trying to remember what it was. Cause I don't, I don't remember the stretch you're talking about. I was it when they had the light part of the schedule. Well, yeah, I'm trying to remember. He... There was a time when he didn't play for like a week. When they had the a week off and then a back to back and then a week off. I mean, obviously both goaltenders were bad then. They gave up 13 goals in two days. I. I don't put much stock into this bad goaltending. I think it's just a downslide that'll normalize, to be honest. I, I In yeah. fact, I, I think Grubauer wasn't even that bad in the Blues game. It's just when your goaltending is average and your defense looks like the abs does, your <laughs> goaltending is going to look like crap. So, And I, I agreed with Fedner with him explaining that it it's not like there hasn't been any goaltending performance that that's just been outright just awful. It's more like they've all kind of given up one or two goals that wasn't the greatest, and it just it adds up. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it's just um, <clears throat> you're you're letting in some goals at key times that you wish you wish didn't happen. Um, would. One thing I want to ask you guys, do you think the goaltending is why the power, the penalty kill is so bad or the other way around? Do you think it's sort of a system or personnel thing with the PK making it's, the goalies not uh, being able to, to do the PK well? I mean, it's the cop-out answer, but both. Uh, the Avs PK has always been really bad about the backside. They pretty much give up the pass across if they work it high and across very quickly every single time. And for a long time, Varley's lateral movement across would get them away with it, usually. But we've seen Varley and Grubauer, so far his entire tenure with the Avs, has struggled to get a slide across on those this year. So I think I, there's been some poor coverage and a lot of our has. favorite cleared but not out. Yeah, and the and the defense happened. definitely Nobody buries them. But perfect. But there's been a few EJ pirouettes this week. There's been a few co- bouncing off Cole one way or the other. The yeah, work hasn't been great on the PK lately. But, and and this is a thing that happens to the Avs a lot, where their goalies play good for a stretch, and the defense kind of gets lulled into a false sense of security, where they can cheat a lot and get away with things because their goalie's just going to stop it. And then when their goalie cools off, you run into this. I think there's some of that. I think the team in general got a little overconfident. I mean, you win six in a row, you you start feeling like you can win every game, which is good, but not to the point where you get a little casual about things. By GSAA, um, Varley is very average shorthanded. 
Um, and Grubauer is on the worst side of things. Like, there's a... Obviously, there's there's some time on ice discrepancies when it comes to shorthanded stuff, and especially for a backup like Grubauer, but he is not in a good spot in in that stat, which is kind of, you know, how many goals you allow versus the expected shooting percentage from where the shots were taken. And it's a little bit esoteric, but it's basically it's saying... Versus an average goaltender, how did you do? Varley, average, shorthanded. Grubauer, shorthanded, not so good. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But Well, one it's... thing that I've noticed this year, um, and last year they had a very vertical penalty kill. And that means they, they basically lined up the guys all over the, the Royal Road covering those seam passes. And this year they seem to be... the. The three guys low are more collapsed and spread out, and they're leaving one guy to pressure the points. And I, I'm just I'm not sold on that because that's kind of what Dave Farish did his last year. They actually had powers, um, and <laughs> I just I you know I I think that's a letting more seam passes go through. They're they're just a little more collapsed and. I just I don't think that they have the coverage they need to stop what they need to do. I, I'd rather see them be a little less aggressive as far as pressuring the sort of the, the wings and yeah, go well, back the... to maybe a little bit more of the vertical style that they had last year. Because I mean, last year they were top five penalty kill, and this year they're they're twentieth. Right, they aren't reaping the benefits of the collapse. Right, if you're collapsed down, you should be all over the rebounds, and they're just right. not. Anyway, there's uh, there's no avalanche practice today, which means we don't have any kind of update on the potential injury status for JT Comfer. Whether him getting his head squished into the boards totally legally is going to actually have any lasting effect or not. Obviously, like like we said, he passed concussion protocol. He did return to the game, but we uh, just you never know until you see him back on the ice again, and uh, really until he plays the next game, honestly, because you can get into practice and bang around a little bit and go, oh, uh oh. So yeah, I mean, obviously, like, like we've been saying, he fits in everywhere in the lineup. He's kind of the jack of all trades guy, and uh, with with the injuries that the Avalanche have already taken to Kamenev and to Alexander Kerfoot, um, losing Comfort too would really just decimate the fl- the forward depth in a really severe way. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, everyone was saying what a a great thing it is that you have so many centers at the beginning of the year. And here we are, we're down two and losing JT would, would really compound that. Cause there's, there's really not much you can do as far as calling up anyone. The, the next center to call up true center would be Toninato. Who's he's grinding away down there. He's not really showing what I would call, you know, good enough chops to come up to the NHL. Uh, they're trying to play Sheldon Dreis at center more down, down there, but uh, it's not really his thing. He's playing on a line with JC Bodan, and, it, and Bodan tends to, you know, he's, he's a natural center for sure, and, and he sort of takes over a lot of the more centery duties when they're playing together. So, I mean, like, if you had like three months, you might be able to turn Dreis into a, a full time center, but I don't see it. Um, I mean, so even he'd be better than Wilson at center, though. Well, sure, but <laughs> yeah, there <Look>. isn't <laughs> there isn't really a replacement that functions with Comfer in the role that he's in now. 
Right. Because, you know, they've moved him up to the first power play unit, and he's been effective there. No one else is going to move up and down the lineup like he can. But not only that, it's it's his well-rounded game. Like, the guys you're going to call up can kind of do one thing. They're fairly one-dimensional at this point. Yeah. So you have to build lines around them. That's Comfer's whole benefit, is you just put him in anywhere. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure that Comfer is a second-line center plug-and-play, keep him there all year. It's good that he has chemistry with Jost and it's working now, but I think eventually he's... You're going to have to break him up off of that line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, leaving him up there is definitely overusing him, but it's... It, he can play on the first line in spot duty, is, is kind of the point. Like he, He's a bottom six full-timer, but he can fit in anywhere. Definitely. And I'm and, not even sure he has chemistry with Jost, really. I mean, I... The last two games that they've played well, I, I think a lot of that has been on Sven, because um, Sven's played very well the last two games. Um, and it's just, you know, that's, you know, we, we've we been trying to have a, a real second scoring line for a long time. I'm just not, you know, I, I don't think we do at this point. But Well, with you know, Calvert scoring goals now, you know which <laughs> line that is. It was closer to legitimate when Kerfoot was healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I don't agree that that Andrew Ghetto was very good against Dallas. I feel like he made a lot of really dopey plays. I I will say he was very good against St. Louis. Yes, absolutely. If if he had a good game, it was definitely that game. Yeah, against Dallas, I I can't. I can't remember anything. I can't remember anything he did poorly, and I can't remember anything that he did really he well either. Did get the pad pass assists on Soderberg's fake goal? Yeah, <laughs> but he, he was responsible for a couple of clear but not outs. He was responsible for yeah. lazy ass icing from like five feet behind the red line and no pressure, like just dopey stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's not. Sven needs to be in the offensive zone doing stuff to be good. Well, the other just, thing, he's not on a line that is supposed to do that right the other thing we need to cover for him (laughs) yeah the other thing we need to talk about with the fourth line is why are they in this position where they have to use wilson as your fourth line center like they don't even need to put kerfoot on ir which they should at this point because i don't think there's any way he's gonna play this week that was just the vibe or certainly not early this week yeah, I mean, and, he can't play tomorrow night, obviously, because they're not practicing today. Yeah, so, it, it would definitely be a very big surprise if he played the first two home games, maybe the back-to-back. Have we heard I, I feel like the, is? Sorry? No, it's... Uh, was, did they say it was lower body? No, it's upper body. I can't upper, remember. Upper yeah. body. The not a concussion. It's, it was something that they had to... He had to go to the doctor for and get a timeline, and Bender kept talking about needing more information. So it seemed like maybe they're trying to judge a degree of maybe a shoulder separation or something of that nature. So it's definitely seemed like a week to week kind of thing. You know, Bender won't admit it, but I'd be really surprised to see him before Christmas. So, I mean, he got on the ice for like 10 minutes on Thursday, whatever their last practice was. Yeah, and since it's an just, upper body, it's kind of like, oh, well, that's that's really not good. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. really tell us about the fourth line. Yeah, it's just, it's in, insane that they've put themselves in this position where 
So they know that Kerfoot's going to be out a while. They don't even need his roster spot because they have an extra one right now. Is why can't they just call up a fourth line center? Like we said, Tony Nato really hasn't had a great year in the AHL, but we know what he can do. He can be a fourth line center. And like, why are they continuing to have this short roster? This was the whole reason why they said it was a great benefit to have the Eagles up the road. They're not utilizing it. Their only healthy extra right now is Alt. So you're basically saying if anything happens, if someone gets sick, someone gets hurt in warm-ups, your plan B is to use Alt. I mean, they I are at home do better now. Than that. But right, like I think, like I think, what we're seeing—the lack of a center on the fourth line—is more of a symptom. You can already see, like, Bednar doesn't even want to give Greer real ice time, and they can use that to double shift McKinnon on that line at times as the actual center. And, and if he's not fun. willing, right? Greer, honestly, I thought he was even pretty good against Dallas. Like that was easily his best game. And so if you're not willing to play Greer, who has NHL experience, has dominated the AHL this year, how could you even, like, how do they even consider calling up some? I disagree yeah. with that, but I'm, like, looking at it from the Avs' point of view, I well, think they really don't want to. It's like, if, you're, if you get one more injury, you're getting to a point where you have to use somebody. One more injury? Yeah. That cut out, sorry. Yeah, if you're I mean they do, injury, but you, you I, that's where they're at, <laughs> right? They're they'll do it when they have to is where they're at, and they're not right. getting those people ready for in case. Well, in they haven't practiced they need since to. Thursday anyway, so it's not like anything could have been prepared. Um, I mean, I get been... what you're saying, but it's like, are you you know who of the the twelve guys that were out on the ice for the last two games are you going to put? Sheldon Dreis in place of, and I'd say Gabe Bork for sure because he's been garbage the last couple of games, at least. They've been scratch. They were scratching him when they were getting Kamenev in, yeah, so well, it's not well, like this is a yet. new, new thing where we're saying, oh, just it's easy scratch Gabe Bork, and the coaching staff isn't willing to. They were doing it, and he's somebody that doesn't need to play every game. Like I don't think they're going to just scratch him for weeks, but he's also not a guy that you need to keep a, a roster of 12 forwards so that he's not someone scratched for a guy coming up from the AHL. Like, he's a borderline 12th, 13th forward. It's okay to continue doing that. That was my concern with Kamenev getting injured, is you can't change what you're trying to do with trying to work him in because he's out now. And then revert back to what you're doing because you're going to need these guys. And this is going to be the big test. The Eagles are back home. The Avs are going to be at home for three straight games. Are you going to use your affiliate to get an extra player? Or you're just going to roll with what you have plus Mark Holt? It's just yeah, I mean, not I, a necessary I, risk. I mean, like you said, if somebody comes down with the flu in the middle of the afternoon or somebody steps on a puck and rolls an ankle in pregame skate and that's a forward, all of a sudden you're playing 11F7D for... Because you have to? Because you've made yeah. yourself have to? Like, why? For someone who's as, as risk-averse as Jared Bednar, why? It does. It well, seems I mean, silly. It's like $5,000 a day to have somebody called up. 
And Again, I mean, one thing I can see is that they, you know, Dreis is down there. They're trying to make him into a center, sort of. And he was playing all weekend. So it's like maybe they're thinking that that's preparing him more than just flying around with the team and not playing. But, you know, it's like they need to get him up. You know, the the Eagles should be back in town by now. <clears throat> so, you know, they need to call him up tomorrow and get him in for morning skate and, you know, get that going. For what it's worth, I think hey. they want to call up Logan O'Connor over Dries anyway. But he's yeah, he's they, definitely not a center. They don't I know need he's a not. wing. I, mean, they I know. They don't, they don't want to call up <laughs> someone to play center. They don't. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there. I mean, there just isn't a good solution. But I mean, what else are you gonna do? I mean, you, you, what they have now is not working. I mean, it's like you have this hodgepodge fourth where Bork is in the lineup to kill penalties and and is, is fairly useless outside of some forechecking um, at five v five. And he's not that good. I mean, penalties. Wilson. Yeah, I mean, they can use Wilson sort of like they used Comfer when he was on the fourth. They have spot shift on a couple other lines. And but really, if they were doing would... nothing for Greer here, and you need right. to get Greer the experience exactly. so that he can grow. If so... they would just give Greer a friggin' PK shift, you could sit Bork and it would be fine. <laughs> they, yeah. they have four games coming up in six days. Like, Why are you even trying to tempt fate and burning these guys out? They're waiting like, for someone good to come across waivers, probably. <laughs> you know, it's like Maybe Max McCormick was on there today. He's a left wing from Ottawa, so he sucks, and they, <laughs> you know, they don't want that. But well, maybe they can call <clears throat> Winnipeg and trade for Dano. Tell Ottawa to wave Zach Smith again. Dano's not a center, though. I'm not convinced Dano's an NHLer. I'm not either. I don't. But he used to be thing. free. He used to be free. <laughs> They're cheap. Yeah, but I, I, I'm pretty sure that if a center of any repute had gone across the waiver wire over the last three days, <laughs> that they would have cleaned. They're just clearing Maybe. space for Kevin Hayes. Book it. Yep. They need Kevin Hayes bad. Now that's why I said if they're gonna do it, you know, it's like yeah, do it then, before Wednesday. And then Kerfoot gets back, and everyone's healthy again. And then it's like, how do we get these guys in the lineup? It, it's like they always have either way too much or way too little. I mean, every team is like that, though. Yeah, every team but has you're, that you're problem. You're going to use assets. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're, most teams have most, too most few teams most plan. of the time. Most, most other teams have a plan, and they also use their actual affiliate. That's right. different. That, that is the difference. Is the, when the Avs have too many centers, they just call them all centers still and won't play anyone <laughs> at wing. Yeah. Yeah, it, they're going to use assets to bring up Hayes to play on a line with Jost and Kerfoot and be the third line and watch Soderbergh's line still be the second line. That's what's going to happen. Like, you know, you know who was for a guy, high man as far as time on ice last night? It was Tyson Jost at 5v5. Really? But you know that they're not going to change their philosophy on their lines that they've run for two years just because they trade for some guy. JT Comfer was on pace to play 24 minutes last night be before the third period started. I mean, we're he talking on about pace. one game. You I, know how much they use that Soderbergh line. I don't. I do think that Bednar uses line 2B or whatever you want to call it a lot more when the Avs have a comfortable lead. Sure, well, I mean, a, he likes them more guys. when they're behind and trying to score. I 
they, they don't anymore. Like, over the past week or two, instead of using them more, they just hit them with the blender and send Comfer up to the first line and mix everything up. But it's this dream that getting in one guy will suddenly make, like, a 60-point second line and have them get used that way. I mean, when, you're, when your second line that was, you know, looking that good comes down with a billion injuries... Yeah. You can only do so much. Right. I mean, Kerfoot was on 60-point pace with his usage until he died, so... He could be back soon. He could be. I, he, he yeah, could I sure hope so. Yeah. Who knows? We just don't know. We're, we're trying to make do with what we got, and... Yeah, I'll, for, I'll, for the record, and, I don't want anything to do with Kevin Hayes. I know some people do, but I'm not a fan of the idea. Yeah, it's a weird Like, how idea. are we always in a position where it's like, there is no way you can use anything from the AHL? See, that's... Like, why are we always having that conversation where it's like, if you have to call up and use any of these guys, you are screwed. Um, once again, we're still trying to put together the cupboard since it's not really developed anybody, but I'm sure y'all will get into that <laughs> in plenty of depth when when the time comes. Yeah, um, don't but, even get us started on the D. But, but as of now, um, very encouraged by the week that AJ Greer had with the Avalanche. And, uh, I would have liked to see him play more than six minutes, but, but that's sure. not in his control. <laughs> With what he's yeah. done, well played. Yeah. Yes. I think he got better every game. Um, given the role that was given to him, I don't think he could have done a ton more. You know, he essentially was involved, involved in a goal that maybe should have counted, and he didn't really cost the abs anything. So you can't expect much more than that in six minutes. And we have to look at it like, all right, we didn't really dig the way that Kamenev was being used, but, I mean, obviously Bednar was happy about it. You know, he's like, he's making progress, this is what we want to see from him, yada, yada, yada. So, <clears throat> um, you know, it, even though they're not wild about using young, inexperienced players, um, and they don't just go ahead and give them 12, 15 minutes in a game ever, um... I, I don't think that the way that they're using Greer is a reflection on the way they think about him as far as, you know, they, they don't care about him or anything like that. This is just what they do with, with guys I'm, that are I'm the one sure. experience level. The one thing that I find damning about it is that they won't give him a PK shift. Because they were given, like, even Dries oh. was getting PK shifts, man. These games are so important, Rudo. You just can't let anybody <laughs> PK. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> I see. I'm not sure that they've just moved on because they they were committed to making Kamenev happen. Other than like the week that they were committed to Dano, but they were for the most part committed to Kamenev. They were gonna. They had like a, an idea of what they wanted to do with him when they started scratching Bork regularly for him. I don't feel like they're going to have that same commitment to Greer, and I don't feel like he's now going to stay all year in that spot. I still wonder if at some point they're going to swap him out for like a guy like Dries, who I feel like they like more. So I'm still a little bit leery on all of that. He's still getting much less ice time than Sheldon Dries did, so there's still 
But I mean, there's there's still several games to go before these forwards come healthy, where he may be able to start forcing some more ice time his way if he continues to to look like he belongs, which he does. Um, yeah, it would be awfully nice if the Avs could stop blowing leads, because I think Bednar yeah. wants to play him in garbage time, but the Avs just do don't too. give him that. No. Yep. <laughs> but that would have to be like a multi-goal lead, because then if you're only up by one... That's right, like, that's what I'm saying. The Avs are up by three situation. against Dallas, and I was thinking, hey, Greer might get something, and then they yeah. blew it. So I, I was a little bit less worried about them blowing that lead than a lot of people were, even though it was obviously very painful to go through. Um, but they did blow it. <laughs> they, they did blow But, I mean, it, this is a schedule loss. And you come out and you just blow up the goalie. You, you chase Kudobin to, the to you know, what should have probably been 4-0 but was 3-0. And that's freaking solid. You give yourself that cushion because as the game goes on, Dallas are going to push back hard. Dallas are a good team in the second period for some reason. Not something I understand, but it seems true. And, uh... Colorado are That's trying true. to like bend and not break, and they, I mean, yeah, you gave up four goals to one in that stretch, and that's not what you want. But I they do still pull it back out. Our I mean, uh, Ivy Avs fan did warn us the Stars, for whatever reason, are very good in the second period. Yep. Now We're that you really bring good that up, third, and that's where it counts. Right. It's why did they start Kudobin? I didn't even look at the schedule. Do they have a back to back? They played in uh, they played in San Jose late on Wednesday. So, it, so if that if it wasn't just a rotational thing, it could have been because you know they did have kind of a a little bit of a travel situation. It wasn't a schedule like a sludge game situation, but it was kind of a travel situation. And then uh, no, they're off until Tuesday. That seems kind of silly they didn't start Bishop, but whatever. Yeah, I, I do think a lot of us, myself included, did overlook the fact that the Evs were on the back-to-back in that game. At the I same think it was because time... we were so mad after the St. Louis game that it didn't matter. That we knew <laughs> they, they had to keep, keep come out in that Dallas game and win it. Like There was no, like, if they had lost that game, we would have been like, you, yeah, this yeah. is a schedule loss. And, yeah, there was know. no reason that as an excuse for sure. <laughs> right, like they were tired. It's okay. We, <laughs> The tone of this podcast would have been a lot different. Yeah. If they lost that game. It would have been the big concern game. for me with blowing the lead was kind of the way the Avs responded to it. Because it seemed like... Once the mom- once the momentum shifted into Dallas's favor, the Avs were slow on the uptake, and they would eventually figure it out and then push back the other way. In the second period, they got the late power play goal. Obviously, they come back and win the game in regulation in the third. It just seemed like the on-off switch got stuck in the off position for a little too long. Yeah, that game was just so exhausting to watch because. It wasn't just the back and forth scoring. It was just the, the emotion, the momentum. Just it went back and forth. Either they were dominating, and like you said, they didn't. Ha- it was like they were turned off. It was. It was just. It was emotionally a lot to to get through. I mean, the tough thing was is you know it's like they they score three power play goals, and that's you know that that's real rare. I mean, there were three out of three out of four. I think going into the the third period and then they get two power plays and it, it, it they really didn't look that good on them and that really killed the momentum we've seen that so many times where 
a bad power play um, will really get them down in the dumps. And, you know, and then Carl smacked Bishop in the head and we had to deal with that whole situation. And, you know, the Dallas tied the game. And um, we didn't even mention the totally pathetic four minute power play against St. Louis, which was a big right. turning point in that game as well. Yeah, well, and we basically, ass. yeah. And we basically had that in the third last night because of, you know, they had back to back penalties more or less in the third and, and just didn't do anything on them. Oh, that was fine. They, they controlled the puck. They were, they, they were in and out of the zone a little bit, but they controlled the puck. That's when they had the lead. And it's just like, you're, the power play is doing its job, which is getting us out of this game. Yeah, and they didn't give up a shorty like they had in the second. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to put it away for the power play to successfully help get you out of the game. And I had no problem with that. And I honestly didn't have that much of a problem with them. Kind of, like when when Dallas starts beating, like physically beating the crap out of them on the schedule loss and just pushing, 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 pushing. Yeah, you're you're gonna give up a few, and you're some frustrating goals allowed by Varlamov again. Um, but yeah. I mean, the Colorado scored some bullshit goals against Kudobin too. So yeah. I mean, fair is fair. I will say yeah. it was a little bit of a perfect storm too. Like Dallas was 0-3 on their road trip to that point, And they're like dangling on the cliff of losing playoff relativity. So they were and, real desperate too. Yes. And, and I think Sagan had gone several games without a point or something like that. And, you know, you you can't keep a guy like that down forever, so he was all, all, obviously pretty jacked up to, to score some goals, and he did. Yeah, I just feel like they haven't had a do- a game where they just they put it away. They win it and they put it away. They haven't had like I don't want to use the word easy, but they haven't had a a routine, a business like win in quite a while, and so it's like. Yeah, it's the NHL, and the other guy's getting paid, too, and they have things at stake, and they have momentum and motivation, but you just can't keep blowing games, and that that's when it can become part of your identity if if they get into like that kind of rhythm where I, no you know, game I, ever I actually stays. disagree with that, I think. Um, yes, it can become part of your identity, but... It already was part of the Avs' identity. Oh, for sure. And yeah. I think, you know, we're, we're seeing them try and shake it, and they aren't there yet. But I look at that in a pretty positive light of saying that, yeah, sometimes it rears up on us again, but we're putting it down now instead of totally blowing it. Right. It's, the, it's that Calgary game early in the season versus this one versus the Pittsburgh win. You know, it's, it's just it's not quite the same. And... It just—it was a little bit odd for me to see a lot of fans like, "Well, why doesn't Bednar use this timeout and yell at the guys and get them to get back in gear?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah." It's like like they just—they played an exhausting game that went to overtime last night, came back to altitude, and are playing another exhausting game tonight. What do you want? Like, they're beat, dude. The other thing is they have TV timeouts. Yeah. So three timeouts per period without using your quote-unquote timeout. Yeah, I think you maybe have that card once. Maybe in like a whole season, you have like the tantrum card or the put your foot in their ass card. Like you pretty much get that once. So if this your one time the whole year that you're going to call a timeout and yell and scream and make a point, you better do it when it's absolutely the right thing to do at that time. 
they're not children. It's not like you can just yell at them and they're like, oh, okay, I guess we better play better. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I'll pay attention now. My bad, coach. My yeah. bad. <laughs> All right, I'll go score a goal, coach. Thanks for pepping I, me up. I go. Oh, I didn't think this game was important against a division opponent after you've lost three in a row. I forgot. My bad. Let's go out there and play decent. Like, what do you think is gonna? Is that gonna motivate them? <laughs> it's, it is. It's stupid. It's, I mean, I don't think that's what the abs as a whole need anyway. Like, oh. for the most part, I think the forward core has been just fine through this stretch. They got goalied a bit, but, yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's, they're still scoring goals. You need to get with your whole defensive core, your defensive coaches, and really dig down and say, what is going on with these turnovers and failed clears? Yes. You can't do yeah. that in a timeout. If you're going to use your timeout, it's, for this team, it's not right. even the yell and scream thing. It's the, hey, it was 3 nothing. now it's 3-2. Guess what? It's still 3-2. Chill. We're right. fine. <laughs> right, like if you ever were going to do that, maybe in that Calgary game, I, I think, what, did they give it three really quick? At yeah. that point, maybe you're saying, whoa, this is a momentum thing. We absolutely need a whistle here. But the just, TV timeout's not close. Just say okay. Yeah, in a in a back and forth wow. game like that, it's not about like some sort of quick momentum that you that you need to stop. Right. I was. This might be a little off topic, but did they have their timeout in overtime against the Blues? Probably. Because they could have used that to rest Barry in the top line, but they didn't. I mean, they generally do have their timeout. This is Bednar. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I understand why they save them. You you also need them for a challenge. Like, Just what's going to happen if you if you use your timeout to to yell at the team, and then something comes up where you could have challenged it, and you're like, oh well, can't do that now. Like yeah. people would be angry about that too. Pretty much. I mean, a timeout could be worth a goal, so don't use it. Just obnoxious that they that they you have one timeout and you have to tie it to. A challenge. So now, pretty much, you have a challenge and no timeout. Yeah, it's just obnoxious that they do it that way. It it works in other sports because you have more than one timeout. Yeah, and 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 again with the TV timeouts, first of all, like two and a half minutes long rather than thirty seconds, so they're a lot better for doing things like that. Right. <clears throat> I mean, you just I don't know. I I'm fine with never using timeouts to do anything goofy. Yeah, basically, once they disallowed them after icings, they're not that useful. Right. Yeah. It's, it, you know, you're right. It's a challenge. It's not a timeout. So, um, Jackie said a few minutes ago that most other teams have a plan. The key word there is most. Because some teams fire their GM, wait three weeks, and then fire their coach. Did they finally do it? That seems to be going down. It, it doesn't seem to be official because the team is in the air. Was the last I saw. Everybody was on a plane. Um, but it it seems to be like the the reports are that Hagstall looks to be out and Quinville looks to be in. Even though he's skiing in Colorado right now. Yeah, I mean it's just it's a weird situation. But that's the last thing that I saw. Yeah, that is weird. And especially, again, with Q skiing in Colorado, it doesn't seem like he's ready to coach a game, like, tomorrow. And um, he's still getting paid. Like, why is he <clears> in a hurry to start coaching again? 
Yeah, it's I don't know. I mean, I've said this a bunch of times. Like, you know, the the reason he was fired or you know forced them to fire him because he wanted to quit or whatever it was. Um, you know, he, he he's done the same shtick for a long time in Chicago, and I think one reason that they're not that great um, is that that he didn't really adapt that well. Um, although you know we're seeing that they're quite a bit worse with the new coach who is supposedly a young and fresh opinionated guy. Um, but it, you know, like we've seen with Hitchcock and, and Tortorella, I mean, the greatest thing you can do is if you're sort of in that position where you've been in the game for a long time and become ineffective is take some time and reinvent yourself. And I, I just, you know, I don't think that, that a couple of weeks, um, where he's probably been relaxing most of the time is, is enough to really study the game and really recraft the way you coach a team in, in 2018, 19. So I, I just think it's weird that he would take an opportunity right here. I mean, it just seems like waiting until the summer would be the smart way to go. It's, there seems to be a lot of pushback on the hiring Quindell half of the story. But, yeah. But the, the firing hacks all within 24 hours seems to be kind of the thing. And yeah, then, you know, we were talking about this on the Discord today. It's like, you know, if they've stopped listening to Hackstall because you know, a he's a bad coach, and b that everybody knows he's going to be fired at some point, you know, then then as the GM, you kind of have to do something. You know, maybe it's not your long term move, but you, you you know, you you can't have that dynamic where nobody's listening to the coach. So maybe they need a, an interim coach or something like that. I'd- I don't think that would work. I mean, even if it's from within the organization, I think they let it go so long that the whole thing has become toxic, and that's why they needed to bring in someone from the outside. Did it have to be Quindell? I don't know. But the Hextall situation has dragged on for the better part of a year now, probably. At least, yeah. It's just so So strange that they didn't go for both at once if they were going to can both guys. Well, I mean, you'd want Chuck Fletcher to pick the the coach. So, I mean, I can see Fletcher getting in there and, and taking some time to get to know the organization better, even though I'm sure he's not even close to knowing what he needs to know to make you know, big decisions. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think if you're going to switch GMs, you let the GM fire the coach when he's got a guy in mind to, to take that over, at least on an interim basis. I mean... I you mean, know, it's we, a weird we, scenario. Usually the coach gets fired before the GM, right. so... Yeah. <laughs> maybe this was a... I, I, I think the way the story has come out, maybe the situation is just like the Hackstall is going to be out within within the day, and they're going to pursue Quenville heavily, but he hasn't necessarily taken a job. Yeah. Well, didn't they have uh, Hitchcock lined up before they got rid of McClellan? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's... usually try to get that sorted like you just don't fire the guy then you're like hey we'll find somebody because you're playing games so well, i mean they could have known they were going to fire mcclellan for a long time and you know they're just like okay you know you want you right want but i'm job. saying they didn't do it until they had hitchcock lined up how, who knows right. how long that took i but. mean nothing sets a plan on fire like being as terrible as philly has been so. <laughs> yeah. well it would be helpful if they could find a goaltender I, you're right. I mean, Philly's, Philly's problem is they were expected to be at least like wild card ish. Yeah. And they do have talent. And, I mean, honestly, roster. they should be. 
I mean, that's a good team. They have talent. It there. is. Their top-end talent is really good. Yeah. And it's like they've got a ton of good young defensemen, too. Um, and the fact that those guys aren't, you know, really de- uh, developed into full-on National Hockey League-type guys yet, it, it, you know, I don't know who that reflects on, whether it's Hackstall or just the organization in general. But, you know, it's like they've, they've got a lot of assets there that you know, they could be using better. Yeah. So, I mean, Fletcher's got a lot of work to do. Yeah, well, we'll see who ends up taking that position, but it does seem pretty likely at this point that it will not be Hackstall anymore. Yeah. So, let's let's do our own stars on scratches. Who are we really, really happy with this week? I have my vote. I mean, we kind of... I'll take the easy one. Okay. And it's not who you think it is. He's Comfort. not tall. Okay, oh. yeah, I was going to say Comfort, too. I know. I know you guys were going to... That, that's why I'm taking the easy one, because you guys are going to take Comfort. But he's he's obviously made an impact this week, and hopefully he's okay. Yeah, I you know I think we covered yeah. him pretty well. Yeah, we talked about him earlier, but I I think... This week's hard because a lot of players had good and bad games or bad and acceptable games. So it's hard to really find a true standout or a true goat. But if there were any forwards not on the top line, I'd, I'd say Comper had probably the the overall best week. Yeah, I'll tread into uh, rarefied waters here. And say Matt Calvert. I agree. Oh. I, I I tried to give him a star last week, but you know I had to had to change that. <laughs> um, what did he score? Two goals this week. Yeah, two yeah. goals in That's... two games. This was despite the Avs struggles in two of the three games. Was easily Calvert's best week in an Avs jersey by like a mile. He was doing good things way more than he was doing bad. Yeah, I think for the last couple <laughs> of weeks he has only stat that matters. He he definitely still does the try hard no finish, but he did finish a couple times, and they weren't ass deflections. So he you could almost cool. like see it click in his mind, especially with that really easy goal he got against Jake Allen. <laughs> he realized that he can take a second with the puck. He doesn't have to like immediately do something with it and lose it, and that seems to have helped him a lot. But that that goal on Allen was just so bad. Yeah. yeah. Around, was, under the leg pad. Really? When he got that goal, I said, this is it. They have this game in the bag because if you get a goal like that. <laughs> also, it was your fault. From, it, it probably was, yeah. <laughs> you get a goal like that from from a deaf guy like Calver. I mean, usually you're rocking and rolling at that point. Yeah, um, he's, he's been he's been much better recently. I think he's been better with the puck. I think he's a he hasn't turned it over quite as bad. I, I think he's been a bit stronger on the puck. So it's been a yeah. couple good weeks for Calvert, especially for as much as we've beat up on him. He deserves a little credit. I, I still don't like him or his role, um, but one thing that I've noticed is that the Matt cleared but not out Calvert is, is slowly <laughs> dissolving, and he's been a lot better. Um, you know, it either following through with what the defense give him up at the top of the boards, getting the puck out or, or just, you know, clearing the puck in general, you know, it's just, 
He's not he he's not leaving it two feet short of the blue line like he was a lot in the first couple of months of the year. Of course, he's also got a lot of company in the CBNO box right now, so I'm not really sure if 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 it's actually that he's doing a lot better or maybe it's drowning in everybody else yeah, having it, the same problem. It could be CBNO rel. Yeah. Um, my star That's like a stab for the point. Yeah. <laughs> But but yeah, your uh, Rudo is right that his good shit to bad shit ratio has been much improved, which is as we know the only stat that matters. Um, my star goes to Gabe Landeskog four goals this week, um, and a couple of really big ones last night. So maybe a little bit of recency bias for me, but I'm no, uh, yeah, life. he deserves it. Um, I put this in my video but he now leads the league in game winning goals so he's the clutch one on that top line yeah and every I mean, he yeah. and McKinnon are on pace for it, it's what is it just like a few fractions short of 50 for it's the over year 50 with the second goal i mean he, this is a guy yeah. that he spends hours a week practicing these tip goals and every time he gets them people are like oh got a lucky one all right no Oh no! I no, don't think you're lucky at all. Either. He's been he money this doing. year, especially yeah. this year. He has I mean, practiced that. I mean, maybe he's got a couple bounce off the shaft of his stick goals, but yeah, other than that, he knows what he's doing. He he's tipping it with purpose, and yeah, he's really good at it. Well, my star for the week is going to be Miko Rantanen. Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> I. I co-signed that too. Yeah. Um, you know, even it, it, it's just ridiculous. The consistency of point production that he has this year. He only had eight points now? this week. What a bum. Yeah. And it's like yeah. 29 points in that stretch or something <laughs> absurd. Like, <laughs> The cool thing is he started scoring some goals now, which yeah. you know is something we, yeah. we really all wanted to see for a while. And and you know it's great that he has like sixty nine assists right now. But nice. um, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's that like one he, up. He's gonna you know he he's edging towards a, a forty goal pace, and you know I, I think it'd be ridiculous if those guys ended up with you know sort of. 130, 140 goals between the three of them, but you know who knows? It could happen. Yeah, Ranton in fifty six uh, points, McKinnon fifty two points, Connor McDavid forty eight. Yeah, it's like Ranton, and- McKinnon, the rest of the league, and then also shout out to Alex Ovechkin who is already on his way to thirty. Yeah, he's getting yeah. sixty this year. He's he's coming for Gretzky. He's got twenty nine yeah. goals already. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm, I was and aren't at the, they all from hat tricks too? Yeah, he has like three hat tricks or something. <laughs> it's insane. It's, it's been, the Ovech trick well, we, may happen. Well, we only play Washington one more time. We like we like giving hat tricks. So. <laughs> all right, let's let's bring it down. But I was gonna say, um, I was at that game against Edmonton, and even though a lot of that game was yuck, and a lot of those goals were in garbage time. It was just such a treat to watch Miko in that game. And we all know what he can do, but just to see it live and up close and just see the skill and the talent he has. And I even left that game feeling satisfied just being able to watch a guy like him have a four-point night in what was a disappointing result. And like I mentioned early in the podcast, the back check that he had last night 
where he, without slashing and without getting a, a penalty call, like he, he has been getting phantom calls all year because of his diving thing. Um, you know, he, he took the puck away and started and turned it up zone <clears throat> up towards the offensive zone. So, I mean, we're really seeing him evolve into a full 200 foot player this year. And that was kind of a question last year, even though, you know, he had 84 points and that's awesome. Um, but his game is, is getting more and more complete as the season goes on. And it's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous to watch now. It is. Like, I think we don't even quite understand how good he is. And we're the ones that understand the consistency, the way that he impacts every game. But it is, it's just like, he truly is a special talent. And that's kind of hard to believe. Like, we all thought that McKinnon could be that guy. And then when he finally reached there it, it felt like you know this is this is the player that we we were hoping for but with Miko it was like we knew he'd be a good player but he's just gone so far above and beyond yeah. what anybody thought he could do it, it really is right tough it, to wrap your brain around the first two years we all kind of said you know if Rantanen ever learns to stand on his skates he'll be something special and then this year not only has he learned how to do that he's just an absolute tank on them and yeah. we even got a preview of it in the AHL like those of us that watched him a lot were telling people like he was really good I mean just for real like the things that he did on that team gave us the the confidence that he was going to be a special player but to, to be able to take what steps he did there and to do it at the NHL level is just, it really is such a treat. Good feature on Ranson and today on sportsnet.ca um, where he kind of talks a little bit about working on his edges and on his balance work in the summer. Um, so that's definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it yet. Um, let's I'm going to put that in the cupcakes tomorrow. So yeah, so check out the cupcakes. So you can find it there um, on burgundyrainbow.com. Let's bring it down. Who are you scratching? The entire defense. I say EJ, Cole, and Barry all deserve a scratch this nah, week. I, I think all of them deserve all one. All of them. Yeah. I I go back and I, forth. I like You think... can almost give a pass to Zadorov and Gerard, almost. But even they had some pretty glaring issues at times. Yep. Uh, Barry obviously scratched. Cole obviously scratched. EJ obviously scratched. And you're left with Nemeth, who... Was Nemeth the bad version of Nemeth, yeah, this week. So, so we, we talked about Cole a lot last week. We've talked about Barry already this week. Let's let's focus yeah, this EJ. segment on EJ. What? Uh, I I don't know. I I I know there's the question of it is has he lost a step, but it seems mental, just like in in the St. Louis game, the way that he just sort of completely checked out of the play where was it Barbashev just got yeah. in front of him he stopped skating he wasn't even looking at him like it, it's it was just like dude what do you think's going on here and someone made a compilation of all the goals against Varley on Twitter or it was a thread anyway a gift thread so it's easy to, to watch all of them and you saw EJ doing like this pirouette and like three of them in a row that maybe you didn't realize if you don't kind of see them all in a row. So it's like, what is he doing? Yeah, he's he's been swimming in the D zone a lot. Uh, I know, Earl, you've looked into or at least talked about the possibilities of the systems just not quite clicking. So I'll, I guess I'll leave it to you. 
Yeah, I mean, it, and it it goes along with sort of what we're seeing on the on the PK with you know a little bit of a system change this year. But I, I just have to feel that there are so many of these passes to no one. You know, it's like Barry's pass that <laughs> that just went. I mean, it went like a hundred feet, and there was no one even close. And Varley's looking at, or no, it was, it was Grooby. Grooby's looking at him like, "Was that for me?" I mean, <laughs> no, that that was that Tell was a special mine. kind of. Like, <laughs> it was like a, a spin back pass that went yeah. from like one side of the D zone to the other, but like nobody was there. Not even like a Blues player, like. Yeah. Like nobody. And it was just like sitting there and the puck's just like, hi, I'm free. Who wants me? <laughs> and then you, you see like everyone notice it at the same time. Like, oh, there's the puck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, there's so many of those that you, you have to feel that at least maybe in half of those cases that they thought someone was going to be where they were passing to nobody. And you know whether that's a system thing or just sort of a, a confidence thing like you know oh you know someone's supposed to be there but you know they're not now what do i do and, and it just creates chaos like that i i just i have to think that it's something that they're either trying and it's not working or it's something they can solve with a little bit of video um i just feel like because it's, me- it's it's endemic right now it, it's just the, the, the inconsistency. The, I think this hap- keeps happening, even going back to last year, is that you have either like Barry or EJ out of the lineup, and then you, you make the D pairs more set because you're not always trying to force feed either Barry or EJ extra shifts. So you're, you're more set. You have Zadorov playing more. He plays better when he plays more. You just, and you just have things working, and then... You bring a guy back, like like this all started when Barry came back, and it's not a the the defense is worse with Barry kind of thing. It's like obviously you want his talent in the lineup, but then you're back to like the shuffle where everybody plays with everybody. EJ plays with everybody. There's no consistency, and it's like once they get used to the consistency, and you like pull the rug out, and then everyone plays with everyone. It's like this is what you get. Yeah, I mean, everyone playing with everyone, it, it really backfires sometimes. Like last night, Nemeth and Cole played um, a little over 90 seconds with each other, I think. It, I it was over a couple of shifts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they had zero shots for and nine shots against in that in those 90 seconds together. And it's just, man, you, you can't have a, a pair like that that is so ineffective inside of a game. Um, I mean, that's a shot every 10 seconds for the opponent. I mean, it, do you know just, if it was like one just really bad shift? No, it was not one on? shift. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just. It, it, I think it was, I think it was three shifts actually. Uh, it was either, I mean, not, not, it's not like they were put out together. It just, they ended up together. Cause you know, yeah, it, it's, what, what we're saying is like, you know, it's like nobody, nobody has a, a set pair. It's like they change one guy and then, right. you know, 20 seconds later, they change the other guy. And sometimes you have to do that when you have the far change. But, you know, it's but like on the whistle, too, they 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 definitely start different pairs at times. Right. As well. Yeah. Yep. And we already knew with Nemeth that he doesn't clear the puck well. 
He sure and, doesn't. And since the rebound troubles have hit Varley, Cole has not done a good job clearing those in front either. Nope. So, sure hasn't. You put those two things together and, well. Yeah, I mean, it's like you, those are the two guys you got to say, like, don't ever put these two on the ice together, ever. Because, <laughs> you know, it, I mean, maybe if you, if they're out with the top line against one of the lower lines of the opposing team, you might get away with it. But it's, you know, it's like if you're playing those two together against a top six line of any NHL team, you're going to have some problems. Well, we are starting to stretch on a little bit. Um, yeah, that so was a long one scratch. So let's go ahead and get to next week. The Avs polish off a four-game homestand. First on Tuesday against the Islanders, 7 o'clock Mountain. Then on Wednesday, that's a 6.30 Mountain start against the Montreal Canadiens. They finish up on Friday at 7 o'clock Mountain against the struggling Chicago Blackhawks. Then turn around and play 5 o'clock the next day in Arizona against the Coyotes on Altitude 2. The Ocho, that's a 22-hour turnaround. Thanks. After the Christmas nice. break, Colorado pick up on Thursday the 27th in Las Vegas and come back home on Saturday, 7 o'clock Mountain against, again, the Blackhawks. And then that will be the next time you hear from us is uh, right before the new year. So let's just focus on this week because there's a whole lot more manageable that way. Islanders, Canadians, Chica and Blackhawks, and at Coyotes. They should be able to win... All these games, they they are winnable. They should be able to beat some of the weaker teams in the East. They should be able to beat Arizona. They should be able to beat Chicago, who look terrible. Yeah. But four games in six days is asking a lot. I think and everyone I will... is playing that crunchy schedule right now, though. Yeah. Because they're just trying to get all the home games where people are home and blah, blah, blah. They always do it that way. But I, I'm... I know we didn't want to talk about the next week, but I'm a little worried about that stretch because they're going to fly into Vegas the day of the game. I remember they just don't do well. We haven't seen them against Vegas this year. Who's playing better. They don't do well in the fly-in games. I remember once they flew into Chicago right after Christmas break like that, and they lost like seven to nothing. And then, and then playing Chicago, I don't like playing a team twice in that short of a time span so that second chicago game could be a little gross but for just focusing on this game i would like them to win three out of four which would give them the magic 48 points which is oh always a big celebration point mm -hmm. I would, so it'd be lovely if they could hit 48 points before christmas so that's what i'm predicting out of all these games, I don't know why, but the Islanders game worries me the most. Um, Not the Habs nah. game? Yeah, the Habs. You, you don't feel like the Habs are going to give the Habs trouble? I th I mean, I, I like the way the Habs play, but Price is, is just terrible right now, and they don't have a backup goalie as far as I know. Um, so you're, you're just calling trap game? No, I'm just, you know, I, I think that, I, I really think that, like, the top line's going to have their way with that team. Um, <clears throat> but, I, you know, I think it'll be a good game. I, I, You know, I think it'll be fun for people to see the way the Habs play, because I, I really enjoy the way that they play. Um, 
I think there are a lot of things that they do with the puck that I, I'd like to see the Avs maybe try, and I'll just leave it at that, and we can diagnose it a couple weeks down the line when we meet again. Um, but I, I don't know why the, the Islanders just seem like a lucky team, and coming off of sort of an emotional weekend like this, I think tomorrow night's game might, you know, might be a little dodgy. A lucky team, but they're back out of the playoffs again. Their luck has kind of left them. They're they're fifteen, twelve, and two. Yeah, yeah. I think if the Avs are going to drop one of them, it'll be a gross one, like one of the ones on the back to back, either to Chicago, yeah, I... which they absolutely should beat that team. But there's no play. way they're going to lose to Chicago. No, they're not. <laughs> or that Put Varley in net and oh. we win against a Chicago yeah. team that bad. I mean, it's that team sucks. I know, I know. It's it, just, I mean, yeah, the, the the Coyotes worry me a whole lot yeah, more. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's a five point week for the Evs. The Yotes game is kind of a schedule loss. Yeah, and, and and like TV said, I think the Canadians are the exact kind of sneaky good team that the Evs try to play down to and then get their doors blown off. Yeah, I mean they're very tough on the puck, and that always gives the Evs problems. But I don't know. I I just see that game as. <clears throat> the Canadians lack a little bit of skill and their goaltending has been terrible lately. So I don't know. I mean, I'll enjoy watching the game, but yeah, I, I, like I said, I think that one's the overtime loss for the abs against the Canadians. Um, the five points is enough. Uh, if you look at it, if the abs play above 500 for the rest of the year, which are not easy, I understand, but that's basically enough points to get to the playoffs. If they're even like 55% or whatever. So it's that's all they really need. I would like more, but I'm not expecting it. This is the first homestand, real homestand in forever, so I think they might like their own beds a little bit too much. <laughs> I think the good thing that that'll come out of this, and and you know, we were all into the the whole training at altitude is going to be the advantage for them, and, and you know, there's a quote from EJ this week. I forget. I think it was Dater was talking to him, and he was saying, well. You know, we haven't been at altitude for 10 days. So that's, you know, coming back home for us is like being a road team, basically. And, and <clears throat> I, I can see that. But it's now that they're going to have most of their schedule at home for the rest of the year, I, I think they'll start getting back into the good game shape that they were very early in the year. And that's going to be a big advantage. I think it helps they won the Dallas game. So they can start getting a little home momentum, is why I think they can win the Islanders and the Habs game. But I just yeah. I think fatigue in the back-to-back is going to catch up to them by the end of the week. So, assuming nobody gets goal lead again, eight points. Wow. Yeah. Allowing for the possibility of a goalie happening six points this week. Um, but specifically Chicago, last week we mentioned they were the only team in the National Hockey League who didn't have ten wins yet. <laughs> That's no longer true. They now have 10 wins. Good for them. They had nine, now they have 10. <laughs> I would also like to ask how many points is Miko going to finish with before Christmas? So the next four games 62. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, nice. 50, he's 56 now. 62. I'll say 61. Oh, uh, why not? 69. Nice. Nice. I think I'll go 64. If he has 69 by Christmas, they should just give him Josh's penthouse at the Pepsi Center. 
I'm gonna go full Eric Gagne and get an eight point night against New York. <laughs> just say, just say we'll give you a share, a share of the Cronky Empire. Like we can't even we we can't even pay you in dollars anymore. No matter how nice Miko's point total is before Christmas, you know you'll be able to find out here. Not next week, but the following week. Um, as always on Burgundy Radio. You can catch us at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio. Mixcloud is still fighting me. I am locked in Mortal Kombat with Mixcloud. I'm not going to lose. Not going to lose. You can also catch the show posted on burgundyrainbow.com. You can find it in your favorite podcatcher. You can find it in iTunes. You can find it, you know, wherever podcasts are. I guess you don't sell podcasts, but wherever you find them. Um, Join us in the Discord. Next week off, the following week, we will see you then. Keep your head up in the dirty areas and uh, have a great holiday season. If you want to. Okay, so the, the sound of them crunching is definitely showing up on the levels, so. <laughs> <laughs> How many pups do you have? I just picture like this herd of them. Oh, that's not wrong. We do have five. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, and they keep destroying their bowls, so they're kind of eating off the floor <laughs> of their boxes right now. That's nice. why it's so loud. <laughs> you can't hear them crunching. Just don't even tell me you can hear them crunching through my headphones. Yeah, <laughs> lie down. Go girl.